So turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. While you're turning there, we might inform you that uh, the weather is very, very hot, you know, but you men who would like to come with a dress shirt on and no tie or coat, that'd be fine. How about that? Uh, I don't want to say just casual clothes because somebody, some people get too casual. You follow what I'm saying? Praise God. <clears throat> some people, they always take advantage. Uh, somebody told me not long ago, my problem is, they said, you're too narrow-minded. Well, some people are so narrow-minded, or broad-minded, rather, their brains fall out. <clears throat> give them a little inch, and they just take advantage of everything, see? <clears throat> now, I don't want to be narrow-minded. And neither do I want to be so broad-minded that my brains fall out. I do believe that some of the things that I have been teaching you, that you can become exceptionally narrow-minded and closed. I have known of some Christians that were so narrow-minded, so help me, I believe they could fall face forward on a single pin and poke both eyeballs out at one time. No, we don't want to be that way either, do we? Praise God. From Matthew 5, verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thy fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Okay, you may be seated. Of course, we've been teaching on the subject, Love Perfected. Yesterday, we talked about loving souls, loving the lost like Jesus loves the lost. And I know that in the message that I spoke to you about, that Automatically, when we talk about being charitable, some of you begin to think in terms of losing all your finances and helping everybody that comes by and all kinds of beggars and bums. And I even had a lot of questions asked me about this. I, I wish we could have a question and answer session. Uh, Rather than teach that there is a balance in this, I prefer to teach that almost all rules in the Bible do have some exceptions. Now, I think that I should give you an explanation before we go any further. See, God said the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Now, we know that Jesus Christ brought an exception to the rule. The exception, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish, except a man be born of water and of spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And when rules were written or laws were written in the Scripture, in order not to dilute the law, or take advantage of it, or so that people would take advantage of it, 
The exception to the rule is usually not found when the original rule is given. In other words, if God had have told Adam and Eve, now, you sin, you shall die, but if you do sin, you can get forgiveness. It would have taken away from the original rule. Now, let me give you another example in the Scripture. From the very beginning... It was God's desire and plan that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one until separated by death. I believe that Moses made an exception to that. I believe that Jesus Christ made an exception. The exception to that is except it be for fornication. Now, I, think I feel free in saying this, even though some of you may disagree with it, because our organization has made a stand that is our particular stand. Now, outside of that exception, uh, that's it. It has to be for fornication. But when the original rule was written, the exception was not given. Because there's some people are always looking for the loophole, the way of escape. Now, I said all of that... And probably should say more, but we're limited on time this morning. To say that when it comes to being charitable or hospitable to a neighbor, to a friend, or a stranger, if you always look for a loophole to get out of it, you're going to miss out on some of the great blessings of God. And let me say this to our pastors who are here that might be real concerned about your people giving a lot of money away and not keeping it in the church. Could I say this to you without offending you? The best compliment you can give the cause of Christ is to let your people go, let them be free, and let them be charitable. I would far rather see them give a lot of money away to somebody who abused that blessing than to see them become tightwads and sit on God and wreck themselves financially. Now, the lesson that I choose to give this morning, I had planned on bringing some exceptions. I will not bring the exceptions to you because of the limited time. But I would encourage all of you as saints that if in the event you have questions about this, please consult your pastor. Now, you may say, well, it sounds like yesterday when you talked about giving that there were no exceptions. Well, naturally, give to every man that asketh thee, and from he that would borrow from thee, turn not thou away. If a man knocked on your door and said, let me borrow your pistol, I'm going to kill myself, I'm sure you wouldn't loan him the pistol. You follow what I'm saying? If somebody wanted to borrow an aspirin bottle to OD, you probably wouldn't give it to him. And you wouldn't... You wouldn't think twice in refusing. You follow what I'm saying. But if you do have big question marks in your mind, please talk with your pastor. He's the man that will give you direction. Now, we're talking about love perfected. This has been our theme all week. From 1 John, the second chapter, verse 3 through 5, and we'll not read that, but it speaks of love being perfected. Love is perfected when it becomes more than just an emotion, but love is perfected in us 
when we do what we know we ought to do. Now, I read to you Matthew 5. I told you that the a couple of days ago that the method in which man is converted is the same method in which he grows. He gains knowledge that changes his attitude, that changes his action. The Old Testament is called knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now, we gain knowledge of the Word of the Lord that changes our attitude toward whatever the subject is, that changes our action. We gain a whole lot of knowledge to change us in our action just a little bit sometimes, just a little bit. So, while I believe that we're all held accountable for that which we know, I believe that that many of you will not be able to see the results of some of the things that I'm talking about until you have practiced it in a much fuller scale than maybe what you're willing to today. Uh, several years ago, I was deep in debt. My son Steve had a kidney disease. We had a lot of medical bills. I, I just seemed to to get what most people call some bad breaks in life. It just happened that way. Uh, I was down praying about all of this, and the Lord instructed me that I could give my way out of debt. And it must have been 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. I was so excited about it when the Lord started talking to me. I went upstairs. I was in the basement. I woke my wife up and I informed her, Honey, I've got the plan to get out of debt. And what is it? We can give our way out of debt. And I am standing here to testify to the fact that you can do it. You can do it. And so we got on a budget and we started giving. We started giving to everything that the church sponsored. Sunday school, 25 cents. Missions, 50 cents a week. And uh, I was faithful. And I saw God begin to move and God began to bless. Because for the most part, I was considered to be Mr. Tightwad Christian. I don't believe that faith is just something that you utter. You'll be surprised how much your attitude or your action toward your brothers or even people that have needs are dictated by your attitude, see. Now, I want to just lay some foundation here for a better attitude toward each other. It cannot be lengthy because of the time that we, we have this morning. But Jesus basically saying, if you look at your brother and you say, Raka, that is, you, you rascal, you scoundrel. He said, now, <clears throat> you're headed for trouble. Then you look at your brother and you say, thou fool. Jesus said, if you'd look at any brother and call him a fool, you become a fool yourself. You see, if a man, it doesn't make any difference what echelon of education he dwells on, or even in our present society. 
if the man is, is, is wise enough to hear the gospel message and bend his knees someplace at an altar and repent of his sins, if he's wise enough to go down in the watery grave to associate himself with Christ, if he's wise enough to understand his need of the Holy Ghost and he receives it, he is considered by God to be a wise man. And anybody that will do that deserves to be classified among the wisest of the world. And don't you dare ever look at a man who is that smart and call him a fool. Jesus said, if you do, you're in trouble. And I wonder sometimes if some of the spiritual wrestlings we have and problems that we have are not fostered by attitude problems toward one another. I have been in the company of people that just made fun of people. I mean, just made fun of them. If they're that smart, Jesus said, you just walk softly when you talk about them. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Also, Jesus gives us something else. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure you met, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote, out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now, basically what I think the Lord is saying is that... that uh, and, and, and yet again, I feel that there are cases... In, in which disposition has to be taken against a brother or a sister in the church. But I, I believe that the Bible prohibits us as brothers working on equal terms to judge each other. I do feel that God's plan will allow a superior to pass judgment on a subordinate. Now, fathers do, by the authority of God, they do have the prerogative to go to a child and say, I don't care, son, what you say, what you are doing is wrong, and I judge the matter as being wrong, and you're not going to do it again, and that's it. Now, a father can do that, or a parent can do that, because the parent is the superior in the chain of command. He can do that. Also, I believe that in the overall chain of command in the Bible, that husbands have the authority to settle the matter in the home, not based upon who's right or who's wrong, 
God gives the husband the authority in order to have peace to judge all matters in the home if he so desires, even to the point of telling his wife, now I'm sorry, this is going to be settled. And she should submit to that. Now our present day movements of our land that seek to destroy the chain of command, basically the women's lip movement, says otherwise. But you see, that's the best system that God has in the world. And I'd like to teach on Christian ethics for a while. That's not my subject, and I don't have the time. But we're just laying a little foundation here for you. Children should obey their parents that, uh, that their lives may be long on the earth. And most people stop there. But the first part of the commandment or the promise, that's not it. It says, so that all may be well with thee. The logic that Peter or that Paul uses when he writes to Titus, this is what he has to say. He said, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's something about when you rebel that that the, the final outcome of it is the blaspheming of the word of the Lord. By the same token, pastors can stand behind pulpits without any fears, Brother Godare said, and pass judgment upon certain matters. I have known of a few situations in our church which I knew that if we practiced democracy that everybody there would have voted for certain things. But I told them, now you all together have 250 votes, but I have 300 by myself. And this is the way it is. And the matter is settled. And we don't want anybody in this congregation opening their mouth about it from this day on. Now, does that mean you're always right, Brother Grant? It doesn't mean that. It just means I'm always the pastor. That's all it means. It means I'm always dad at the home. doesn't mean I'm always right. But God has no better system than that. Now, basically, like I say, I'm just itching to teach Christian ethics, but I don't have time. But basically, the reason why that Jesus cautioned us about passing judgment on each other is this. That in the overall body of Christ, you take two brothers in the church working on equal basis. One's not an elder, he's not a minister, he's not the pastor. If in the event, one is not a superior to the other, that is, in his own eyes, he cannot pass judgment on the other one. Now, let me just read something to you from the book of Ephesians when Paul talks about the chain of command. Now, he talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers from Ephesians 4. And then he talks about us all getting together in the house of the Lord. Speaking to yourselves in Psalms, verse 19 of Ephesians 5, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. 
in your heart to the Lord. And music should be melodious. Rock music has no melody. It has to be that way. Give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this. This is talking about brothers and sisters in the body of Christ submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now, in conjunction with this, let's read what Paul says in Philippians, the second chapter, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. In other words, no action among you be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowness of mind. Now, the secret to removing strife and even vain glory from among us is this. Let each esteem other better than themselves. In other words, if a man has the attitude in the body of Christ that his brother is his superior, he then eternally locks his mouth and cannot pass judgment on his superior's actions. So if two brothers and sisters are laboring together on equal basis and one submits to the other and the other submits back, one esteems his brother higher than himself or his superior, both of those brothers or both of those sisters or whatever the combination may be, both of them recognizing his brother above himself and esteeming his brother above himself locks his jaws so that he cannot pass judgment on his superior, which is his brother. Now, unless that attitude grips you as an individual, you will be eternally judging, backbiting, there will be strife among you, and you will constantly devour one another with evil words of gossip. And can I say this, that gossip is the first fruit of a non-forgiving spirit, and people who do not forgive can not be saved. Period. I'd like to teach on forgiveness, too. So you follow what I'm saying? That this is so very important. Now, realizing the importance of this attitude, that the Lord gave us, then I think we can talk about being generous and kind and giving to each other. Now, we're talking about loving our brother like God loves him. Can we love each other like God does? And this is the purpose of all this. And the reason why that we have government in the church is so that there can be peace, because without government, there can be no peace. Somebody has to set the record straight. Somebody has to settle the matter. And that's just the way God made it. And we can't live without it. 
Now, let's get into the subject of, of uh, caring one for another. And we'll, like I say, it's got to be very brief this morning. So let's quickly turn to the book of James, the second chapter. James, the second chapter, verse 14. This is what James has to say. What, verse 14 of James 2, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Question mark. In other words, he's dealing with faith without works. Now, Martin Luther said the just shall live by faith and may come as a shock to some of you, but some of you Wisconsinites, especially you Germans, you will understand the old German Bibles that were used in the Lutheran churches did not have the book of James in it. Because they thought it was not inspired of the Lord because they thought it was contradictory to the teachings of Luther. And they left it out. But the book of James fits all of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we've been dealing with those. If James is not inspired, I would question Matthew and his record of the Sermon on the Mount. For whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan and he said, Go and do thou likewise. And he prefaced the parable by saying, He that hears and does shall inherit eternal life. So here's a situation. He's basically saying that faith, there is a way in which you can know that you have faith. That, that God doesn't just string you along on some imagination or some figment of the mind. That you can know. Now here's how you can know, he says, if you see a brother or sister that is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Now, basically, what I think he's saying is this. You see a brother that has a need, now, this brother's been out of a job for some time, and he's gone through the unemployment lines, and the compensation's all gone, and you see him on, on the front pew or someplace in the church, his head's down. You feel real concerned about it, so you go and you sit down by him, and you say, what's, what's going on, Brother Aaron? He says, well, it's like this. He said, I don't, appear, I don't mean to appear to be down and out, but I lost my job six months ago and, and uh, all of the unemployment uh, benefits are gone and just, it, it's gone. I don't have anything. So you look at him and this is, this is the typical, the typical caring Pentecostal. Sounds like pick on Pentecostal week, doesn't it? This is the typical caring Pentecostal uh, conversation. Well, I'm sure sorry about this. Uh, 
tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pray for you. Now, you have faith in God. Now, don't you forget that God knows every little sparrow that falls to the ground. You know that? You know what he said about the lilies? He said, consider the lilies. Consider how they are arrayed and such. He said, now, he said, do you know that Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of those? No. Let's back up, he said. He said, God cares more for people than he does for the sparrow. He cared more for Solomon than he did for the lilies. Now he said the lilies, they toil not and they spin not. You don't go down someplace on the country road in the heat of the night and hear them grunting. Mm-hmm. Toiling and laboring. No, God takes care. So you just rest at ease, brother, and don't you worry. You put your faith in God. Now, we usually end it by saying this. If there's anything we can do, let us know. You look at me straight right now. James says, now what good did that do? What profit is in that? That's what he said. Now, basically, he's saying this. If you've got so much faith that you can spill it all over the place... Why don't you open your own pocketbook and delete your own funds down a little bit? And so people come into a church service and people are seeking for happiness, and yet there's deadness there. Everybody wants. In other words, you're telling have faith. What about yourself? You lock in on God, and you get a flow of the Holy Ghost inside. You know what? Basically, I think what he's saying is, go ahead and just keep your money and walk off. But you're going to fail this faith test now. You're telling this man to have faith. You've got it. You could give it. But you won't do it because you really don't have faith yourself. Now, notice what he said. Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, I, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I show you my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. He said the devils also believe and tremble. Now, the, basically, the word faith in the New Testament is inseparable from trust in the Old Testament. The word trust is found 152 times in the Old Testament. It simply means that you lean on God and depend on God. We'll not elaborate on that one anymore. So faith is not just getting up and saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. He said, what about all these devils? They even made confessions relative to God. That doesn't save them, does it? No, because their confidence, their trust is not in God. But but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And then, of course, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You know the word death actually means separation? Yes, he did. Do you know that? So basically, when you see a person that is dead, you're saying that they are separated. What do you mean separated? That means there is a body, but the spirit 
that was in that body is gone. There's a separation. And that's why there's no real life. And so Christians who have this faith up here, but they don't have it out here, are theoretically dead. That's what he's saying. They are dead. Now, some of us cannot be benevolent in any way because we don't have the right attitude, see? Now, you remember yesterday we talked about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus said, Ask, it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, it shall be opened. For every man that asketh, findeth. For every man that seeketh, so forth and so on. And then he concluded by saying, Therefore, whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do unto them likewise. Jesus is really saying, now the secret is this. If you always want the door to be open when you knock, when you seek, and such, make sure that you treat everybody like you would like to be treated yourself. Now that's a secret to it. Because that's faith in action, see. In other words, if you had the opportunity to trade places with God, would you act like God? Philippians 3, 17, brethren, be followers together of me. Well, we take Christ's stead on the earth, see. Now, that's not just a teaching back there. The apostles somehow got a hold of this. So let's turn to 1 John 3, 16. Now, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, 1 John 3, 16, very, very similar. But a little different. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, so ought we to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, no greater love has ever been shown than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. Now, he's making an appeal. He said, isn't it right that if Christ laid down his life for the church that you be willing to do the same? Because, see, you become a direct recipient of that love. Now, here is his line of logic. Listen to his line of logic. But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Question mark. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are the truth. In other words, here is a way in which you can know that you're in the truth and shall assure our hearts be before God. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now let's talk about this condemnation of the heart. Here you are, you're down praying. Boy, you're loaded. The, the wallet and the, the bank account and everything, it's, it's bulging and you're down and you're praying. You're saying, oh God, oh God, oh God. Lord Jesus, I want you to touch me, Lord. I have great needs, oh God. Every man prays that way. We bring our petitions before God. Here we are with saying, Now, God, you know my need today, Lord. You've been good to me, Lord. You've always supplied that need. I'm asking God you continue to supply that need. Help me, oh God. I want to, I want to help more missionaries. You go on and on and on with your spill. It's all right. But there's a problem. Now, this is what he's saying. Because there's, it seems to be that there's something inside of you that's condemning you. 
What is it? You, you just passed a brother who has a need. You could have helped, but you did not help. So when you get down to pray, in other words, is it right to ask him to help you when you would not help him? Is that right? In other words, if you had the opportunity to trade places with God, would you act like God acts? And God is so logical that He says that with the judgment that you judge others by, whether that judgment is correct or not, if you're going to make it hard on this brother, I will purposely make it hard on you. Now, there's a minimum which we'd all be judged by, but he says if you're requiring something of him, I'm going to require it of you. Didn't Jesus give the parable of the husbandman of the vineyard that beat the servants with many stripes? And the Bible says when the Lord came back, he that has done likewise shall be beaten with many stripes. In other words, if you're going to require that kind of response from people, I'm going to give you that too. That's how logical God is. God is so logical. You know, even when the Apostle Paul, when, when he dealt with the church relative to eating meats and such, he said, but now if you don't feel that you have that liberty... That you can worship God on all days, not just the Sabbath. And you can eat these meats that have been blessed. He said, if you go ahead and you do it without faith, he said, to you it is sin. Now, why would God say, if a man's got this question mark in his mind about eating this hamburger that's got this pork in it, why then would it be wrong for this man to go ahead and eat it if he's got this big question mark? Because he's actually proving to God, be it right or wrong, I'm willing to jeopardize my relationship with God. So God says, now, if you're willing to do that, it's wrong for you, whether it's legally by the Scripture wrong or not. That's how logical God is. So when you are always going around questioning things and doing them, Remember, you're willing to jeopardize your relationship with God. He's going to chalk it up to being wrong anyway. Now, let's go back to 1 John 3. He said, But, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have this confidence toward God that whatsoever we ask we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are right are pleasing in his sight. In other words, you saw this brother, he had a need, you went and helped him. So when you're on your knees bringing your petitions before God, John says God will always honor those because when you have the opportunity to stand in Christ's stead, his divine character and nature flowed through you. But if you can't be that way, he's saying every time you pray and you ask, you're going to get up scratching your noggin and walking away and wondering where God is. 
Most prayers, quite frankly, are not answered because of the selfishness. And so the greatest challenge the selfishness involved in the life of the man who prays. Now, I could spend a lot more time proving that scripture. We've been talking about that for two or three days. Now, I just want to mention it's 12 o'clock. I just want to mention a couple of things. We've got to close, okay? Um, I remember in, in Madison when we uh, wanted to build our building. All right, so we got some folks from our church here, and they can testify to this. And we... We just didn't know what in the world we were going to do. We'd save money for two or three years. And we just we couldn't sell our building. We couldn't build a building. We had purchased land. It was a miracle the way we got the land. But uh, our land wasn't paid for, and the old church wasn't paid for, and we couldn't afford it. And I remember when we had our business meeting, uh, the year before we built our building, and I remember... As we began to go over our finances, I said, I don't think it's even proper for us to talk about this building or finances until we pray for some of our churches and some of our brethren who have needs. We all got down on our knees and we began to pray. We began to seek the Lord. As we prayed and sought the Lord about some of these people who have had needs, God began to speak to us individually. And... Uh, we began to look at the money we had in our building fund. And one brother stood up and said, you know, Brother Grant, we've been talking about stewardship, and we've gone through classes on stewardship and money management. You've taught us that we can give our way out of debt. You think it could be the reason why that we have not been able to build our building is because that we are very cognizant of the fact that there are a lot of our brethren that that have needs that are greater than ours, and we haven't even tried to help them. And somebody else stood up and added to it, and somebody else stood up and added to it, and somebody else stood up and added to it. And so what we thought would be a very productive year as far as raising funds to, for the new building, we just seemed to put the, the top on the pot, so to speak, and say we're not going to do anything with this fund, these funds. But on a Sunday night when everybody was there, we expressed this to people and we voted unanimously to give every penny away that we had in our building fund. Now, we did that because we could just see God was just stopping it all. In the course of just a few months, when we looked at our finances... Our church in Madison gave $69,000-something away. We looked at missionary efforts that needed money, and we gave some there. We looked at local churches who needed finances, and we gave some. We gave every penny of it away. And I remember the night in which we voted to give it all away. Our people danced in the aisles for one hour and 45 minutes. And I remember delivering some of these checks personally to some people. On every occasion in which we delivered the check personally, the people wept and cried and reluctantly received the gift. Then came to my remembrance that which was spoken by Paul 
when he said, it's more blessed to give than to get. We shouted and danced. But would you believe now that immediately after we did this, things began to develop for us. And just one year later, we started our building. We started our building with all of our land paid for, 16 and a half acres. Our building sold and $150,000 to put on the project. Praise God. And we went through that whole building program without one little financial wrinkle. Praise God. I wish I could stand here and tell you many more stories. I could relate to you many personal stories that happened. God will always honor the man who has the right attitude toward others when he himself has to give. Ecclesiastes 11, chapter, there is a a statement made there, and Brother Rutherford came to our church and preached one of the most outstanding messages from this that I've ever heard. So I'm borrowing some thoughts from Brother Rutherford's Bible study. I just want to give it to you quickly. Ecclesiastes 11, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it not many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And we'll stop there at the colon. Now notice what he says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it not many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. I was reading recently concerning... But there's just enough for me and my lad, and then we're going to die. But the great God of heaven says, go to your meal barrel and take it all and give it. Why, Lord? Notice why he said you should do that. Look at it. Look what it says. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. Why? Because... Evil shall fall on the earth. Just the opposite. Now you're talking about illogical financial management. This does not make sense. Does it? In other words, you give the last portion away because you don't know. Brother Meadows, now that kind of blows my mind. That's what he's saying. Now, here's what he says now. Verse 3. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. In other words, when you are giving, it's like the earth that's sending forth its vapors to the clouds. The more the sun shines, the more the, the clouds fill up with rain. And when you're giving, see, you're sending it up, sending it up. In other words, if there's nothing sent up to load the clouds, there will be no rain that will fall. 
so that your crops will keep growing so that you can go out and pick a little bit more for a portion tomorrow. Now notice how he started this. He said, cast thy bread upon the water. You don't cast bread upon the water. You cast seed upon the water. That's the way a lot of plant, uh, crops were planted. They took and they went out by, the, by the, the rivers that were overflowing and they took the seed and cast it out because they knew that the waters would recede. And the little tiny seed would bed themselves into the mud and the muck and they'd come up. And later on you go out and harvest that. You mix it with the, with the water of the milk. You knead the bread, the dough. You put it in the oven and you bring it out. It's a loaf in your hand. You know what he's really saying? If you practice this principle, my friend, when you cast the seed on the water, it's as good as the loaf in the hand. Falling from the lips of the greatest teacher that ever walked on the face of the earth came these words, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men then give to your bosom. Praise God. You want a life that's productive? You want to be a prayer warrior that can stand up and say, God answered this prayer? Don't be a tightwad. Because when you have the ability to trade places with God, if you cannot act like God would act, then, and only then, will you see the heavens closed up and condemnation come to your life. You've been a real audience in this heat. Would you stand? Praise God. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God. Thank God.